feeling better, looking better, making life better. It's Life Tips. Life, life, life. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life tips. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. I'm here with Michelle Borba. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. How much fun is it for us to talk about Unselfie? What a brilliant title for the book. Of course, there is a subhead on that as well, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. But where did you stumble upon the concept of Unselfie? I love that. Well, I think it was a natural of about a few years ago when the Oxford Dictionary picked up selfie as the word of the year and I began to see boy we are it's just kind of really been pervasive all over our entire culture of turning that focus on ourselves unselfie is the whole goal of flipping it so you start looking at others so you flip from me to we love it now you're the author of 22 books on parenting and education and this book was just released on June 7th just uh, weeks ago really and was featured on uh, today's show and, and Time magazine picked you up congratulations on all of that by the way thank you very much but yeah. tell us what's special about this book why, why does this book uh, seem to be getting some momentum so quickly what what's your take on that well, I think the number one thing is it's starting to resonate that people realize we focus so much on one side of the report card of really narrowing our definition of success to a GPA that we're beginning to see that our children's compassion, empathy is really beginning to, to dwindle. In fact, I wrote the book because I saw one scathing statistic that said in the last 30 years, our children, incoming college freshmen, have dwindled. 40% in empathy. That's across zip codes, while narcissism has gone up 58%. And that was my red flag of going, if empathy is dipping, then there goes respect, kindness, tolerance, and there goes up bullying, there goes up date violence, and all of those things are happening. Tell me about the, the, the characteristic of empathy. How do we develop it? What is its history? The history is absolutely wonderful about it. It's actually, in the last 10 years, though, it's been mind-boggling new research that is actually showing that our children are hardwired for it at birth. So we start realizing that it is a trait that, is in, that our children come with, but unless we develop it, it lies dormant. And I think that's been the problem. One of the big reasons why empathy seems to be dipping is our culture is taking it down. Our kids are so plugged in. A lot of our discipline that we're using actually counters what the research says that would, would uh, increase empathy. And what I really want to do in Unselfie is say, here's the proven ways that we can flip this around. Empathy is feeling with someone, and that is the benchmark for once you have empathy, then you've got moral courage, you build uh, pro-social behaviors, tolerance, fairness, all those things we want desperately for our kids. What are some ways that you can activate empathy in, let's say, teens? Because I know you go through various uh, different age groups in the book, but let's focus on teens for a second. Well, I think the first thing is realizing there's nine different habits. So the unselfie goes through, here's the nine core crucial habits that if you use these in your house, or you adopt them with your, with your parenting structures, they will activate empathy. So in terms of teens, 
let's look at some ideas. Uh, chapter four is on moral imagination, elevating movies or good quality children's literature selections or a lot of those YA kinds of books that activate heart. That's one way to do it. Many moms and dads are starting mother-daughter teen book clubs where you read with your peers and you find those good old books like, like Wonder could be, and you read them together, that's one possibility. Another possibility is anything in the service learning project, but doing something that, that really activates and excites your child based on your teen's passion. If he's really into the hunger program and hunger movement, then that's the kid who's going to be working at the food sign bank. It's not what looks good on an Ivy League resume. It's what is going to activate your child's heart. And all of the research says if you really want to do service learning that activates empathy, make sure your kid does it face-to-face -face, at least the first time. Once he sees the gratitude on the person's face, whoever it is, then he gets that thing called the helper's high and he just keeps wanting to do it. We're in an election year this year that's uh, that's an interesting discussion in itself, but I was wondering what kind of noise are we exposed to that's shaping kids' developments these days, like our pathetic uh, political environment packed with corruption and narcissism and all kinds of other things? What, what, well, I think, yeah, <laughs> my head's nodding. You can't see my head nodding. I think what we've got to keep in mind is the best way to learn empathy is not through a worksheet or a one-hour lecture, but by witnessing it or experiencing it. So the first thing we've got to key into is what are our kids being watching and hearing over the last few months is pretty darn scathing and could be some fabulous conversations with whatever child is. They may talk like that or he may be able to get away with it, but not in our house. And that's the way you start talking up your own values. The other thing I think is extremely concerning is another line, and that is very, very horrific uh, news images that are coming on. What we know is that from the horrors of Dallas to Orlando to um, Baton Rouge, it's just continuous. And what we realize is that the more we see those kind of images, the more it actually starts to diminish our empathy because our kids in general begin to see the world as a, as a doom place and not a good place. So if I was going to give you any words of recommendations for a parent, it would be what Chapter 9 says is start cutting out good news reports. They're always on the back page of the newspaper, hidden about some great little kid who's doing some fabulous thing to make a good deal about, you know, make a difference in the world. And they actually help children begin to see the world as a good place. Hmm. Tell us about, this is going to sound strange, but, but actual, you know, typing and communication and all of this chatter that we have going back and forth. You know, I've, I've, I learned earlier in my career, probably, you know, a decade and a half or two decades ago, that email could often be a very poor means by which to communicate. Uh, emails are often interpreted the wrong day, way. And, you know, there's something clearly going on there where, there, where I, would, I would suggest that empathy might, might be a big part of that. It's hard to understand how someone may feel about something you write. Do you think that's part of the root of this problem, given that we're all texting yeah, I, I, and I, I with am, kids in particular? I am 100% with you. In fact, Chapter 1 of the first habit to activate empathy is emotional literacy. You can't feel for somebody else unless you look at their face and go, oh, she looks upset, I need mm -hmm. to help, or oh, daddy looks frustrated. And you don't learn that facing a screen or circling an emoji. I think that's the big thing is we're looking at a, a population of kids 
Mm. Who, yep, the Internet is going to stay. There's no doubt about it. But mm. what we've got to do is make sure that we're reclaiming face-to-face connection and communication because mm. there's no substitute. That's how you learn empathy. Uh, it could be back to the family dinner hour. It could mm. be having sacred unplugged times in your home mm. where you say, hey, this is when we're just going to turn and look at each one another. Because if we don't do that, I think our children are dramatically handicapped. I mean, Common Sense Media says the average kid is now plugged in about seven and a half hours a day. You Mm -hmm. add all that up, that means what's at stake is relationships that are face-to-face style. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are skills that are simply not being taught these days in, in the schooling system? Do you think the schooling system might be to blame for some for some of this? It's an I don't think we can point our fingers to one entity and say it's the school or it's daycare or it's home. But we do know that there are certain skills that are lacking uh, that would, if we kept those going up, would activate empathy. And each one of those is, is a big piece of unselfie. We talked about emotional literacy because we're not talking nearly enough feelings. In fact, we seem to be doing it, if we do talk feelings, far better and more with our daughters than we do with our sons. Starting in toddlers, they have put video cameras in front of moms and dads, watching them how they interact with two different genders and discovered we talk a lot more feelings with our daughters. Our boys are already handicapped when they go off to kindergarten. But there's other factors as well. For instance, in the last, I think probably around the year 2000, it really hit again, uh, Mayberry and the old play sandbox took a nosedive. Play and, and just face-to-face connection of it's my turn and it's your turn is also the best vehicle for empathy, says all researchers. When our kids do play, it's very structured, it's extremely supervised, and very often it's adult-driven. Here's now what we're going to do. So kindergarten teachers will say they're seeing a huge change of kids coming in, just minus those first sharing and taking turns and looking and noticing one another, and that's just because play has taken a nosedive. Did you study remarkable teenagers with with wonderful empathetic practices and sort of reverse engineer their habits to come up with some of your conclusions? Yes, that was the fun part. I probably learned more from kids, even though I studied, there's, I think, 400 pieces of footnotes in that book saying here's what the research says. But what I also wanted to do was find kids who teachers said, here's a really empathetic, altruistic child. So then I'd sit down with these kids, and they were just ordinary kids who really were doing some extraordinary things out there in the world and making a difference. And I'd always say, how'd you get this way? (laughs) And the fascinating thing is almost every one of those kids credited their parents. So then I'd say, so what did your parents do? They expected me to be kind. My dad always was kind. My mom and I always do a service project together. It was just a lot of modeling and examples that were so embedded as a very early age or messages that in this house, this is how I expect you to act. And as a result, the children begin to adopt those habits. Chapter 9 is all about how to help kids become change makers, and it's all based on all the interviews I did with kids. Fantastic. Did you find in me children that didn't have that modeling, as you described it, yet had developed those skills? And if so, how did they learn those skills? Well, what I found is I'm a former special ed teacher, and I actually started this interest dealing with school shootings. My background took me into violence. So I've looked at kids who should not have made it, 
but clearly bounced back. They were clearly at risk, horrific home environments, but there was always a caring adult. Very often the kid would quote a teacher as being the single most significant person. And what very often those adults did was realize that if this child is going to see themselves as a caring person and get away from seeing themselves as a violent offender, he needed to be exposed to different kinds of experiences. And so what they would very often do is pair him up with a younger child. You've got a little guy over there really needs some help. These are teens working with kindergartners. Can you help that kid? And in reality, what they were actually trying to do was help the older child who was at risk learn listening skills, learn yeah. all the skills that he didn't have, and it paired over. The other one I've seen a lot was pairing them up with service dogs. Mm. Uh, training animals, and as a result, it just did phenomenal things because the child began to develop a caring mindset. Violence mm-hmm. is learned, so too is caring. Mm-hmm. And what we've got to do is help our kid develop that mindset. There's all chapters in uh, Unselfie on how you help your child see themselves as a caring person. And my first question to you as a parent would be, be real careful on when your child comes home Almost always our first thing out of our mouth is, how'd you do on that test? As opposed to, what caring thing did you do today? So we may need to tune into our own messages because our kids are picking them up. I've always been a fan of empathy. Do you think empathy is something that could carry well beyond the development of children as you've described it? Is it perhaps one of the key solutions to making the world a better place? Oh, I am so, I am Solid on 100%. But if you look at anything on the front page of the newspaper, mm-hmm. from terrorism to uh, corruption, uh, what I did, I've done is study it intensively for the last 10 years, and it's almost always empathy is in a dormant state. Empathy is actually what now activates your conscience. So it starts with feelings, then goes to mind. The other thing we're really concerned about is, is empathy gifts. What begins to happen is depersonalization sets in. So you no longer see the person as a human being. He deserves to be treated cruelly. You see that with sexual violence. You see that with the the extreme in genocide. I I worked in Rwanda, and I was overcome with having people describe to me that state of genocide. It was very slow, gradual process where you no longer saw the other person as a human being. Uh You know, she used to come in and babysit me. She used to take care of my family. She came in with a machete and and killed all of us. It's a slow, gradual process, and I've learned so much from history and violence, which is why we better flip this around. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Back in a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. 
at Fjorge. Our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. It's time to take your ad testing out of the Mesozoic era and into the Ezoic era. Ezoic is the world's first machine learning platform, creating tailored ad combinations to monetize your website. Our automated ad testing not only boosts ad income, but increases page views, improves bounce rate, and will impress the user experience. Start your 30-day free trial today at ezoic.com. And join thousands of publishers who are already earning 60% more with Ezoic. That's EZOIC.com. Ezoic, make your website smarter. Ezoic is a Google certified publishing partner. Content for your ears and everything in between. Cranberry.fm. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back. Great to have you on the show today. What's the best way to do that, really? Tell us about that. You, you get into developing empathy in the book and practicing empathy. You know, how hard is it to transform somebody into becoming more empathetic with how they approach their life? I think the first thing is we've got to be aware of it. Change always starts with knowledge. I, I, mm-hmm. I think a big mistake that we may be doing is thinking of empathy as soft and fluffy. When you look at the research, which I really tried to do in the first chapter, of the amazing advantages empathy gives you, but not only employability, uh, uh, that's what employers are now looking for, is one of the top employability factors is empathy, because they want the person to be able to get into the shoes of the client, to success in school, to happiness, to relationships. The first thing is realizing it matters. Second of all is maybe don't trying to do it yourself, but pairing up. Change very often when we start a goal. If we can pair with somebody and talk about it, there's many groups now that are going across the country that are called parent change-making groups. They're just a group of parents who are getting together, or it could be employers. I don't care who it is. But you get together, and what you do is discuss empathy or discuss what have we got going in our community that would activate our kids' empathy or who is an empathetic child and why did they turn out that way? Just just getting together with like-minded people, you begin to be motivated and go, oh, I can do this or let's do it together. I, I strongly suggest even taking Unselfie and using it as a book discussion guide. So you first talk about it and you realize it's doable. Because I think the biggest problem we're up against, uh, or in fact, when I do parent-in sessions, I, I've done, I've worked with over a million parents all over the world. The big thing is is helping them realize you can cultivate empathy, and getting them to real uh, think that it's not something that's just part of your DNA or my kid's temperament, but you really can cultivate it. And once you do that, then you can go through on selfie and say, okay, so which activity would work be my starter point that I'm most comfortable trying. So you, you, you have a lot of sort of uh, exercises, if you will, in the book. Could you give an example of one thing you can do? I mean, some of your chapters are in exercises, if you will, but something simple that the listeners could, could tune into and, and listen to you talk about. What could sure. be done that's simple? Yeah, go ahead. 
I think one of the simplest ones is called the two-kind rule. Why? Because we need to practice kindness, and it activates our empathy. The, and the more we do it, it begins to help us realize that we are a caring person. My girlfriend started this rule when her children were three. She sat down with her husband and said, when my kids grow up, I hope they become caring. I want them smart, but I also want them caring. So every day when you leave this house, whether it's going to daycare or the neighbors next door or school, you are to say or do at least two kind things. And they have a chart on the wall that on the refrigerator, wow. like smile or say hello. Simple little things. And they kept adding to it. Then at nighttime, they just took a moment during dinner, one minute. So what you do today that was kind. And what the kids began to realize is the impact that it has this boomerang effect. You give it out and more people want it and come back well. Her children are now in their 30s, and I will tell you that they are three of the kindest kids you could possibly imagine. They have fabulous grades. They're amazingly successful, but they're also kind-hearted because her parents found a simple little ritual to do it. Hmm. And That's has that come back? One idea. Has has that boomerang where people are kind to them and they've got wonderful friends around them and yes. uh, investors yes. that have put money in their company? Okay, that's a little bit of a stretch, but but, so, ha, but have you seen that? Tell tell me about the boomerang boomerang yes, effect. Because here's the other thing. Uh, I, yesterday I did a, a interview with Wall Street Journal. Hmm. They called me because they looked at a piece of research they were fascinated about. It was a meta analysis of two thousand kids. But they were trying to figure out who, what are, what's the population of children who are really popular or well-liked. And they found, lo and behold, that what they weren't expecting, they had empathy. Uh-huh. What they discovered is that kids who are the ability to take the perspective of the other, how does my guest feel? What does he want to do? What is he really saying? Why is he all upset? That's perspective taking, which is chapter three, for kids who were much more well-liked children. So there's one boomerang. What you find is that you start being kind, people are going to be more responsive to you, you're going to get more friends. You start being kind in the workplace, your employer is going to appreciate it because that's an employability factor that is top of the notch that's a Harvard Business Review. It's just simple little things that happen that we also realize it's modeled. I I'll tell you one simple idea that we overlook. I, when I was traveling all over the world to gather these, I, there was one place I had to go to, and it's a South Pacific island called Vanuatu. Not on everybody's top list, but UNESCO does these studies of where's the happiest places on earth or the friendliest places on earth based on income. And Vanuatu is one of the poorest places in the world, but it's supposedly the friendliest. The moment I got off the boat, Everybody was genuinely friendly. Hi, how are you? We're glad you're here. They look at you in the face. They smile. I've never seen a place like this. Finally, I grabbed two kids and I said, why are you so friendly? And the two kids turned and said, well, because everybody else is. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. How smart is that? You see, that's the same principle about kindness. You start helping your children like my friend said, go out and be just two kind things, simple. Come on back and tell me what it is. What it happens is that the more you practice, the more you become it, and the more you become it, it actually helps build your empathy so you see yourself as caring, and it's so, so easy. You know, there's an awful saying that, that I don't know where it came from, but I wonder if you have any comments on it. It's this expression that, you know, nice guys finish last. Hate that comment. Hate me that too. comment. And I don't know. I don't know where it came from. 
And I think that's one of the biggest battles I'm up against because they all, everybody thinks that empathy is soft and fluffy and nice guys will finish last. Well, the research just says, number one, that nice guys actually are more popular. The research now says nice guys actually are more employable. Nice guys, says the research, actually are more collaborators. Nice guys actually have healthier mental health, stronger relationships. All the benefits of empathy are ones we've overlooked because we have focused so much on the other side of the report card. And we've had our kids practice everything but empathy, humanness. We go to violin, we go to soccer, we go to everything else. But how often do we do what my girlfriend did every day to do kind things? Come back and tell me what you did. Hmm. When you think about building your, your personal brand, brand me as it's often called, what characteristics do you think people tend to, to gravitate towards these days? Empathy is not typically one of them. You know, I want people to think that I'm very empathetic, you know, that, you know, <laughs> um, what, what's wrong with that? Why, why isn't empathy something to strive for? Why, and, I, and I know your book's trying to make it that, but why has it been overlooked? I, I think the biggest thing is is the misconceptions about empathy. And I think that nice guys finish last has uh, has been a big mindset that we all begin to think that it doesn't matter. Mm. The other thing that I think that we've done is that we've seen empathy, uh, that empathy alone can make a difference. And I realize, no, it can't. Empathy needs habits and skills. You start with empathy to be able to feel with someone. But I always say to to everybody, so what? So that you feel with someone doesn't mean you're going to step in and help or step in and be morally courageous. What we've got to do is help our children develop skills and skill sets. For instance, I spent a lot of time working on schools uh, to create safe, caring school sites after some very bad school shootings. How do you flip that around? We now know that the best way to stop bullying is to mobilize the 85% of the kids who are compassionate children. They have the empathy. They're watching bullying. But what they tell me that they're, that they're lacking to be able to stand up and do something about it is skills. Teach me how to step in, and I will. I have had more kids in focus groups tell me that. So that's what I did in Chapter 8 on moral courage is here's the skills you can do to still stay safe. But if you try these skills, they're called bystander skills, you actually would be more likely to stop the bullying. And if you do them within the first 10 seconds it happens, it stops almost 58% of bullying, says Mm. the research. We haven't talked much about the the the, the power of, of empathetic skills, but uh, innovators, I'm certain, are very empathetic people. They understand the target audience that they're designing or innovating for. Did you learn that in your research and studies? Do you learn how people yeah. are actually putting empathy to work in the business world? Yes, I've never seen. In fact, I started, that was the first thing that I was driven to, was the research from Harvard Business Review and, and empathy design schools. What many are realizing is that they want innovators. They're looking for the Google-type people. <laughs> They're looking for people who can uh, switch things on a dime and understand where the client, where the customers, where the country, what their needs are. Uh, a big thing that we may have been doing wrong is a uh, big concern I have is that for the innovator is that they generally have a talent, but the biggest concern I see is that University of Chicago, in fact, tracked our most talented children, all the teachers nominated, here's the most talented neurosciences, artists, sports figures, 
who have that potential to go way far at age 13. And what they discovered is the average child burns out around the age of 13. Hmm. And there goes their talent. Why? Because we push them in a different direction. We push them out of what we think that the kid's natural talent and passion is towards what we think is going to give them the Ivy League, Mm -hmm. uh, what's going to look on a resume. And what happens is you have to have passion in order to, to be that innovator. You have to have the belief in yourself. And you also have to be able to have that empathy to knowing where where's the need in the world right now? What do people want to have or need or what do they feel? And then you put all those together, it's a win-win-win. Hmm. Where does passion fit with empathy in your mind? Uh, strongly, because I think empathetic people are by nature empathetic, are by nature passionate. Mm-hmm. My biggest concern, though, is that we're looking at something called the empathy gap. And that is you feel the empathy, but we're looking at a lot of people who are dimming it down because of either, for instance, the health industry. Most doctors, healthcare people, first responders are now having to go through empathy courses to keep it open because they're being struck by the doom and gloom all of the time that they're watching. And so it dims down. Stress is another issue. You can still have the passion and your empathy is there. But if you're so stressed all the time and can't regulate your thoughts and feelings, you tune it down. That's why Chapter 6 is self-regulation as a key to keeping your empathy open because you've got to protect yourself so that you can not be just in survival mode and you can still look out for others as well as yourself. Very interesting. Do you think that uh, that that that's that last part? You know, tell me a little bit about your, your the connection with stress and as a, as a hindrance to to empathy development. Could you dive into that a little bit deeper? Fascinating right there. Because I I tend to find that in general. People that are more stressed out or less empathetic to the needs of the family or or your your employees or, you know, that's an interesting point. I think the, the thing on that one is to convey to a person on why stress reduces empathy of just imagine yourself in the moment that you were the most stressed. Your stress was building. How effective were you as a parent to be able to say, ooh, where's my child coming from right there? Or as a spouse or as a friend, you aren't. You're, you're in survival mode, so you dim it down. Probably the most fascinating thing that happened to me was I was hired by the Pentagon to work on Army bases overseas and train our mental health counselors who were working with a lot of our kids and rapidly deployed areas that are, you know, in Europe and Asian Pacific where parents are going back and forth into Afghanistan and Iraq, and it is really a very tough time for children. I met our, our Navy SEALs, our most elite forces in the world, and they told me what they're doing to keep their stress down and their courage up. It's four skills, and I, I thought, oh, my God, why the heck are we not teaching these to kids? In fact, there's a whole chapter on teach these skills to kids. Number one is when your stress starts to build, Navy SEALs are taught immediately to take deep, slow breaths. Take a deep, slow breath and let it out twice as long as you inhale it. It's the fastest way to get your vagus nerve to kick in so you relax. <laughs> now, if you practice that with your kids starting at a very early age, starting at age two, take dragon breaths, big, slow breath, and blow it way out. <laughs> You're teaching your child how to manage the stress. They also teach an affirmation. I can do it. I can get through this. It's one line, and they keep practicing over and over again to keep the stress down, or they chunk it, which I think is a fascinating concept to teach a kid. Kids are so overwhelmed with 
everything they're having to do. I can't get through the whole day. So you tell your child, don't try to get through the whole day. Just think about getting through the first five minutes. And as soon as you get through the first five minutes, go to the next five minutes. That's when Navy SEALs do the same thing. They say they don't try to get through the whole battle. Their goal is to get through the first 10 seconds, then the next 10 seconds. And it keeps the fear and the stress down. I think the other research that's fascinating on that I used when I was in Tibet, the monks, the Dalai Lama slew those monks into into University of Wisconsin. They looked at MRIs because they practice meditation and deep breathing. And the parts of their brain where there is compassion were so far superior to just everyday college kids who came in who didn't know deep breathing or meditation. And so that's why so many people are using mindfulness. It's proven. It not only keeps your empathy open, but your stress down. We just need to teach that to kids. Michelle, it's been an absolute joy talking with you today, I must say. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you. May we all be more empathetic. Thanks for tuning in. I have two final questions for you. Who would you like to get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of you? Oh, who would I like to get a hold of? How would people get a hold of me? Mm-hmm. My website is michelleborba.com. There is a personal connection form there. It also has over 500 blogs on how to do anything we're talking about today. I'm a 1L Michelle, though, M-I-C-A-P-L-E-B-O-R-B-A. Well, once again, thanks for being on, Michelle. And, and when you write your 23rd book, feel free, to, <laughs> feel free to come back to us. We'd love to hear from you again. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Right on. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next week on The Electric Show. Thanks. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. 